Welcome to Ability Stories Podcast, where we discuss the successes, challenges, and stories of people with disabilities. I'm your host, Tara Briggs. To contact me, please send an email to abilitystories at gmail.com. Welcome to Ability Stories. My guest today is Ray Wright. Ray teaches woodshop at the Center for the Blind in Salt Lake City, Utah. And um, we're going to talk a little bit about your job, but you lost your sight from retinitis pigmentosa. So it's kind of what I'm interested in focusing on a little more today, if that works for you, is what that transition is like from having no disability to having a disability and adjusting is kind of what I thought we'd focus on. Does that That's sound good? Sounds great to me. Okay. Well, um, when I usually have people on the podcast, the, the people that I've had have on so far have been um, congenitally disabled, basically. So they've been disabled, um, you know, basically since birth or pretty close to it. Um, but you lost your sight later in life, right? How old were you when you... I was 22 when I was diagnosed with RP and then went totally blind when I was 39. Yeah, so um, what what did disability or blindness mean to you before you lost your sight? Well, um, disability, I kind of grew up with disability as far as deafness. I have two sisters and they're both deaf. So... I knew they were disabled, and but never thought of it as disabled. So it was just part of them. So when I and growing up, it was always people would say, "Oh, your sisters are deaf, and you're okay." And I'd say, "Yeah," and never really thought anything about it. So when I when I was diagnosed with RP, I uh, um, kind of thought like, "Oh, wow, I'm I'm disabled too," but didn't really look at it as a disability just part of me so you were you were 22 and like what happened did you start i think a lot of times people start having night blindness right with retinitis pigmentosa mine mine was unusual um it was by accident actually i found out that i had rp i was i was managing a movie theater and one particular blusty blustery day i was uh, changing movie posters in the poster case and they were big sliding pieces of plate glass that you'd slide open and change the posters anyway I had the case slid open and the um, I was bent down to pick up a poster and I big gust of wind came up and I heard this crack and the glass came down and landed on my head and shattered over mm. over me and I had all sorts of little, well, the doctor called them chicken scratches, nothing requiring stitches, but I had all these little scrapes and cuts and blood all over my white shirt and, and that. So I got rushed to the emergency room. And uh, they found out I was okay, but they asked me to read the eye chart. And it was kind of blurry and and uh, that. So they said, well, you should go see an eye doctor because I had a concussion and and that so I made an appointment for an eye doctor and he went and he said read the the eye chart and it was still blurry this was maybe two days later and so he looked into my eyes and he said how long have you had RP oh my gosh and I said (laughs) are what 
Oh, wow. And he said, retinitis pigmentosa. I said, what's that? And he said, it's an eye disease. And I go, what does that mean? He says, oh, it means you're going blind. And uh, I said, oh, when? And he said, oh, in about two years. And oh, my I, gosh. And I said, okay. Um, oh, no, I, I have to back that up. He said, by the time you're 30, that's what he mm. said. And I said, oh, okay, well, that gives me eight years. And he said, how old are you? And I said, 22. He said, oh, I thought you were 28. So that kind of like, oh, a couple years, you know, okay, whatever. So I went to um, uh, USC. I lived in Southern California. I went to USC to get all the proper tests done and and that, and they confirmed that I had RP, and and, uh, and I went to UCLA to get a second opinion. And, and were you scared when you got that initial? I mean, like, do you remember what your just initial reaction was to? Well, I I thought, oh well, I got a few years, you know. It didn't really sink in, I guess, initially, mm. or or whatever. And um, I guess when he said, "How long have you had it?" He thought it, it was pretty obvious, and in fact, they they classified me as legally blind, and I only had twenty degrees of vision, and and that. And I thought, well, geez, I'm doing everything I can do now. Why stop? I can still see. So I I didn't, you know, didn't really think about being total or anything or whatever. So so I just continued on my. Uh, life just like I had it planned or normal or whatever so it, it wasn't it wasn't really I think it was more of a shock to my parents than it was to me I just yeah how did how did your family react um well my mom my mom was was a, a nurse and and that so and you know, growing up with the disabilities is just like, well, it's just something we're going to have to deal with. And it wasn't like, oh, it's you know, a major life-altering. You won't be able to do anything or whatever. It's just like, well, we'll just have to to deal with it. And and um, my dad um, um, didn't didn't say too much uh, about it. But I I was just. I guess I had it before and looking back I could remember in sports I would be a little bit uh, clumsy or not the best athlete um, I remember in third grade I was playing baseball on on uh, at Reese or not even at recess but during PE and I someone I was playing third base and the pitcher threw the ball at me because some guy to get him out and the ball was coming straight towards me to catch it and it disappeared and ended mm. up hitting me in the eye and I got a black eye and and uh, of course when you're in third grade to get a black eye that was kind of cool but um <laughs> but now looking back at it I realized that it went out of my field of view and mm. then in high school I like to play art I, I like to do archery and I was actually the best archer in the uh in our class and thinking about it that's because it was straight ahead and what I could see straight ahead was 
was um, clear and no problem. And my first semester, I'd miss the target and I'd be spending 20 minutes looking for my lost arrow. And everybody else who missed the target would find them in a couple of minutes. Mm. And they'd be, hurry up, break, find your arrows. And I hated that, that I, I didn't know it was because I couldn't see them. I just thought, whatever, they just disappeared on me. Right. Um, so I, I practiced all summer long on archery. So the following semester, I uh, um, never missed the target once. And it wasn't really because I wanted to, to be the best archer. It was because I didn't want to... You don't <laughs> I like have to look up for my arrows. arrows. <laughs> Get them all on the target. They're easy to find. <laughs> so um, when you had lost, you know, when you got your diagnosis of retinitis pigmentosa, I mean, one of the things that people tend to talk about who have a degenerative eye disease is, is giving up the driving. Yeah, that... That's... I... Yeah, the doctor used to have a fit because I used to drive to my eye doctor appointments. Mm. Um but and living in Los Angeles and and driving those those go together, you know. Um, so I drove for three years, I guess it was, after I was diagnosed. I uh, like I said, I was managing a movie theater and that. I worked nights. I worked in you know until midnight or two in the morning or whatever, and and that. So there wasn't any public transit really available at that time right and again i never really thought thought about it i guess i learned to adapt all my life i guess with with driving and and that so um let me just stop i mean eventually people just well yeah clue when, in that <laughs> no interesting story i kill someone if i don't give this and up. that that was that was exactly it i mm. i was um I knew I shouldn't be driving, you know, about a year after I was diagnosed. So I stopped driving my friends. I, I would just drive to and from work or, or wherever I was going. Or if we were going to do something, I would drive to their house and mm -hmm. then meet them and then they would drive. And um, one day I was driving to uh, a friend's house. We were going to go to the movies and it was a... Uh, um, Oh, kind of dusk and it was kind of a drizzly day and I was on the freeway and I was going along and I was going to change lanes and this lady uh, um, changed lanes and I was speeding up to change lanes but I hadn't started moving over yet and she was changing lanes and I didn't see her and the two of us we we tapped each other mm -hmm. going at the same speed so we pulled off the freeway and uh, parked on the underpass and got out and I didn't have any damage, she didn't have any damage, but she insisted that the highway patrol show up. And uh, so we waited for the highway patrol to show up. And as we were waiting, I was walking around her car and she had a little um, toddler in her front seat. Of course, this was at the time when you didn't need uh, car seats or anything like that. And I saw this little girl sitting there, and I just thought to myself, I am being so selfish. If anything had happened to that little girl, um, you know, I don't know what I would have done. So I got the highway patrol officer to um, 
call my friend and say I, I can't make it tonight and uh, I drove home and quit cold turkey huh. so and that was actually harder to give up my my driving than it was to uh, to go totally blind yeah I, I that is if you have a disability that prevents you from driving I think that is the one thing that you just miss and I've had you know I'm congenitally blind so I've mm-hmm. had people say oh you don't you don't miss it it's like you know some things I don't miss but the independence of driving oh I miss it I have, oh, I, I have always missed it even though I've never had it <laughs> no but I can fantasize along with the rest of the population <laughs> that that's it I mean you know that that ability to be you know whatever time it is and think oh you know I feel like going and getting a, a soft serve ice cream and the ability to just to hop in your car, drive a couple minutes away, get one, drive back home or, or whatever, mm-hmm. instead of thinking, well, I could walk the 20 minutes <laughs> right. to the store to get it and then have to walk 20 minutes back and then eat it there because it'd be melting. Do I want to spend an hour to get that? No. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So. Yeah. And isn't it funny because it's the little, it's the little things, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's the having a craving for a donut. I, it's just the little things. And, um, I think that's almost what you miss more than, I mean, if it's somewhere where you just absolutely got to get to, you tend to figure out a way but yeah yeah yeah. but it's that little spur i mean yeah i could call a taxi and take me down to get it but yeah exactly do i want a 20 dollar ice cream (laughs) that's an expensive ice cream (laughs) it's it's not worth it so yeah yeah. that was that was the hardest part i was 25 when i stopped driving i was in la i you know dating and all that kind of stuff That, that was really hard to um to deal with and then how also it's going to affect my job because I you know worked late at night Uh, yeah so what what happened what happened with that job obviously you're not doing it now (laughs) no no well I I went I went to and I loved my job so it wasn't like you know so I went to went to my boss and and uh, told him I've got diagnosed with this and that I don't I don't know what to do mm-hmm. and at the same time I was um, going I was a lab rabbit in some tests um, I call myself a lab rabbit and these tests that were going on in Boston at uh, Ma- the Mass Eye and Ear Institute mm-hmm. um, with some vitamin supplements and that so I was going back there and that and then and I didn't have a problem with night blindness, and that was 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 unusual too. I could still see fine in the dark, mm-hmm. um, but they told me that going from light to dark was worse than staying in one consistent lighting. And so, working in the theater, if it was even daytime, going from the light auditor or light lobby into the dark auditorium, back and forth was was really bad. So I told them that, and they said, "Well." would you like to um, work in our swap meet division the the flea markets that they had in the, on the drive-in properties during the day hmm. and i said well yeah i could try that i like the company and and uh, uh yeah i liked what i was doing so i did that 
um, for about a year and a half. Mm -hmm. And I really didn't care for it, but didn't know kind of what to do. So I decided um, I would work through Christmas um, because that was a busy, busy time. And this was probably in October or so. I'd work through Christmas and then kind of look for something else. But in the meantime, there was a new uh, um, head of, of advertising and publicity and promotions that was hired in the company. And I called him up one day and I, I said, there's a crime being committed. And he says, what's that? I said, the movie posters are getting crumpled the way they're being shipped. And they're, they're, uh, they look horrible. It looks like used toilet paper up on the wall advertising the oh. movie. Because they were just all being crumbled mm-hmm. and, and not in a tube or anything. So he kind of laughed. He said, oh, well, I'm glad you mentioned that because I've just ordered a thousand poster tubes or something and that, and that's going to stop. I agree with you. And I said, oh, okay. And that was all nothing to do with my job or anything. So about a month later, I heard that there was a uh, an opening in the in the advertising department in the corporate office, and I decided to apply for it. And interview went well and everything. Their only concern was it was 32 miles away to the office. Would I be able to get to and from work? Mm-hmm. And I told them, I said, you leave that up to me and give me a three-month probation. And if I'm late one day, one minute, then you can let me go. And uh, they agreed to it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I started in the corporate office in, in um, publicity. How were you getting yourself to work? Before that? No, no, during oh. those three months. Oh, by bus. Mm, okay. So I would have to uh, take three buses. Oh, God. And uh, the 32 miles, I'd leave work at, at 5 to 6, or leave home at 5 to 6 in the morning and get to work at about 8 o'clock. Yep. And, um, and then it was about two hours going and about two and a half hours coming home. So it made long days. Mm-hmm. But I, I liked the job more than I hated the bus. Well, and I, I just, I, it's just what you do. I mean, my husband has, um, he has a four-hour round-trip commute. Yeah. And it's not fun, but it's, you know, when you can't drive and that's how you get to work, that's how you get to work. <laughs> exactly. That's just part of, part of life. And, and actually, we had, we had uh, some sighted um, employees that worked in the office that had two-hour commutes because they lived, well, one guy lived like, almost 100 miles away Mm. and he would leave home at four in the morning to get at work to six to miss traffic and and that uh just because he found a house he liked that he could afford way out and yeah and that so you know it's do what you do and 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 of course i that three months i wasn't wasn't late one minute in fact i got to be the um the guy that would get in early and put the coffee on for everybody else and th- that type of thing and mm-hmm. and that so um, some of the other um, uh, employees that that would one of one of the girls would come in late all the time and she came out walked into my office one day she says I hate you 
And I said, why? What did I do to you? She goes, I got pulled into the office for being late again. And all I hear about, well, Ray has to take three buses and carry them <laughs> on his back and walk uphill with them and, and all this stuff. And he's never late. So. Right. <laughs> and she lived like 10 minutes away from work and drove. So... <laughs> Well, I think I think when you struggle to achieve something, you you tend to be a little more. It it can make you more appreciative. Yeah, and and I have to say that just growing up, um, my parents, my dad especially, and in, instilled in me being on time and doing what you're going to say to do and and or do what you say you're going to do and. You know, it's better to be 15 minutes early than one minute late. Right. And so that was just something part of my personality, I guess, as well. So So what happened with the job? Um, I worked in the office for, uh, let's see, seven, eight years, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, um, and my vision was going down, but I still um, turned it in. What, what the primary... Um, job that I did was uh, in, in promotions and that was the trailers that are on the beginning of the movies mm-hmm. I would decide which ones you would see for about 400 theaters mm. and and uh, plus I got to um, help I was like a liaison for promotions between the individual theaters and the movie studios so we and being in LA and that we do a lot of movie premieres and so I started taking my camera, because photography was my hobby. Mm-hmm. I would start taking my camera to the premieres and, and taking pictures and playing paparazzi and and taking pictures of the celebrities and that. Oh, and did, then, you, did you meet anybody cool? Um, yeah. Um, I don't know who, who you would consider cool. <laughs> but uh, Who did you consider cool? Um, was Charles, there anybody that you were like, wow? kind of starstruck or um well i got starstruck a lot but um um charlton heston he was he was really nice clint eastwood um kevin costner tom cruise tom Mm. hanks wow uh, man you met like famous people michelle pfeiffer and jodie foster and (laughs) demi moore and wow and um faye dunaway gregory peck you know i mean uh, so it, it was just um, Arnold Schwarzenegger. I mean, I'd be in time for another podcast, but I could tell you all sorts of encounters and stories and oh, wow. interactions with, with different um, celebrities. But but I would take these pictures and, and that, and then I would end up taking um, pictures of different things. And so then I became the company photographer. So... I never, you know, think about it now. Here I'm a legally blind company photographer, but I just, you know, I just took pictures and and that. So when there was um, different uh, events going on or or in house house things or or um, different uh, pieces, our um, owner of the company um, was an art collector, and so I would take pictures of art that he would buy for insurance purposes so i've just did the full gamut of of photographs and and um that so so i kind of created my own job so you've transitioned to a job that isn't the most 
friendly when you're totally blind. So how did that how well, did that work? Well, what I yeah exactly. Well, I wasn't total then, so right. So, but I, you were on the road. <laughs> yeah, but I thought, well, I'll worry about that when I go total. <laughs> why? What? And to be honest with you, I wasn't aware that I could was eligible for services. I didn't mm-hmm. know I could use a cane or or. I could still see, mm-hmm. you know, I, I didn't know that I, I could learn Braille or, or have any type of training or anything. I just did what I had to do. I didn't know anything about JAWS or screen readers and, and that. So I just continued on. And then the company did a big um, um, shift in, in philosophy and that. Um, with with a new a new um, well not a new owner but the basically it was a family owned business and the the father gave the reins over to the son and the mm. son changed things around so I was I was let go with about thirty other people I guess mm. um, and I think part of that was was uh, the fact that that they knew I couldn't see. And it kind of at the end there, my vision was getting bad enough that I would I would invite a friend, and I would invite friends to come to the premieres with me so they could drive. And of course, they loved going to the premieres, sure. so it wasn't hard to find a yeah, driver. Yeah, free ride to meet Tom Hanks. I'll take it. <laughs> it, it exactly, and and uh, so I had a friend that would stand behind me, and my vision was getting poor enough at a distance mm-hmm. that I could see the figure of, the, of, of somebody and tell if it was male or female, but I couldn't really tell who it was. Mm. And so he would stand behind me and he'd say, you know, it's Tom Cruise, three o'clock low. And that was always a joke we had because Tom Cruise was shorter than Nicole Kidman. So she would always be high and he would be low. But anyway, um, so I'd turn and say okay there's the guy take a picture well thank goodness for autofocus cameras um so i'd take the picture and then wow huh so you've you sort of got yourself a system with a sighted assistant yeah yeah and and he was a big big um fan uh of of celebrities and and stuff like that so we worked as a pretty good uh a team that way Mm -hmm. but then when i i got let go i thought well what am i going to do now so, in my infinite Were you wisdom, sad? Pardon? Were you sad? Oh, yeah, I was devastated because I had 17 years in the company and um, put put my life into it, really, and loved what I was was doing and, and that. So, yeah, it but was... Do you think, I mean, do you think a lot of it was based on your increasing disability or do you think it was the new owner or... Well, I think it was both, but I think if it was, say, okay, we've got to let one of these two people go, I think that was the deciding factor mm. because because there was a, on occasion where where I um, couldn't um, you know jump in a car and get to a certain place or whatever. I'd have to schedule ahead of time or. Or I could get there, but I wouldn't be able to get home from there because it was bus unless I took a taxi or something. And I didn't even know about 
you know, paratransit or, or anything like that. Sure. So, um, so it, that, that was, that was hard. And, and, and part of this downsizing, my boss, who was a really firm believer in me and that he got let go as well. So, mm. so I, I, I think kind of the support, um, that was there wasn't, wasn't there any longer. Wow. So, so from that, I, I, um, decided since I, uh, didn't do that anymore, I'd start my own, um, home business doing, um, graphic design. So I, um, again, it's something visually, I know. <laughs> so I started my own business, um, doing graphic design and I, uh, went to school and, learned how to how to use uh, Adobe Photoshop and um, Illustrator and freehand and a layout program called Quark and all these desktop publishing um, programs and software and that so I would take photographs and manipulate them and and uh, change them and do brochure layouts and I, I um, designed a logo for this um, something called wings which was um women in need growing strong it was a a women's abuse shelter thing that they'd have a big uh um celebrity tennis tournament uh for for a fundraiser and i kind of was used to being around the celebrities and stuff so it kind of went hand in hand and um i did that until my nose was touching the screen and couldn't <laughs> Couldn't see it. Took too long to do it. And, and then what? Then I I didn't know what to do. So you didn't you didn't know any blind people at this point. You didn't know anybody to to no kind of give you some direction. No, and in fact, when I when I was kind of through this graphic design thing, my vision got so bad. Well, kind of at the end, like when I said my friend would have to tell me who who the celebrity was. Mm-hmm. Um, that my cataracts had gotten so bad that I went back to the doctor and he said, well, we can do um, um, the cataract surgery and, and you know, remove the cataracts. So they did that. And wow, that was, that was amazing because I could see again. Mm-hmm. So I was really excited. And, and that's when I went on and did the, the computer stuff. But then... Um, my vision was was getting worse, and so I went to uh, back to the doctor and say, "Okay, now what can you do?" And he said, "Well, I could sign a form for you to get a guide dog if you want." And that was that was really devastating to me because I thought, "Well, wait a minute, you performed this miracle was removing my cataracts before. You got to do something now." And him knowing I was a photographer explained it in a very simple but succinct way was that uh, before we were able to put a new lens on the camera, but now we can't get film for it because my retinas were mm. were gone. And I thought, okay, that makes sense. Even though you have a camera, you can't take a picture if you don't have film. Right. So that's when I didn't know what I was going to do. And I said, well, how long do I have till I go totally blind? And he said, oh, about a month. Oh, my gosh. That's so sad that no one has directed you at this point to, like, 
adjustment, training and adjustment to services, to blindness organizations. Nothing. E- exactly. You must have felt, did you feel really alone? Um, yeah, I guess that was, that was a, a good word. I mean, I knew of the Braille Institute in L.A. Mm-hmm. I, and in all fairness to everybody else, I I knew um, knew that there were things out there, but I didn't reach out because I just maybe it's a denial thing. But I just figured, well, if I just carry on as best I can, then then um, <clears throat> maybe maybe it won't come to it. So I I guess I had to wait till I hit rock bottom until until I decided to do something. Mm-hmm. And I take it this is about rock bottom for you, right? Yeah. So, so what'd you do? So let's see. I woke up um, in January. Well, it's Martin Luther King's birthday. I remember. Woke mm-hmm. up, couldn't see a thing. <laughs> so I thought, well, now what am I going to do? Um, so I really didn't know. And you know, my friends were very supportive. Mm-hmm. Um, or well, I had some people that I called my friends that disappeared, and other people that I th- called acquaintances that really be- turned out to be my real friends. But, why? Why do you think that is? Um, I think it's kind of like when you're friends with somebody in grade school or high school. Maybe it's because of proximity, mm-hmm. but. Then you go to a different school and you never see these other friends again that were your best friends. Kind of the kind of the same thing. People move on and and that and maybe like I said, maybe they weren't really your friends to begin with. Um, um, but I think I think sometimes as people with disabilities, um, maybe I'm being really I don't know blunt or sometimes mm-hmm. you're sort of the embodiment of people's biggest fear i mean yeah. blindness is is a huge um fear that people have Be- because close your eyes and there you are and people don't know how in the world they would, would and, function and that well i can give you a prime example and one of my best friends and he's still my friend today mm-hmm. um i i uh, found out well i had a different friend that that called up and said hey there's this this uh um seminar going on at the uh, senior center from the Braille Institute. Mm-hmm. Maybe that would be good for you to go to. Mm-hmm. And and uh, I thought, hmm, well, maybe. So I called up and found out where it was, and I talked to my parents. And so we we all went down together to this, this workshop and talking about a blindness and what you go through and that's when I first found out about um, the Department of Rehab, and um, um, that there was there was uh, some training you could get and whatnot. She talked about this this place called the Orientation Center for the Blind, and in Northern California, and I thought, well, that sounds kind of neat, and. Um, my dad says, well, she get, must know what she's talking about. She's blind. I said, she is? And he said, well, she's got a guide dog. <laughs> and I went, oh, wow, i got to talk to her then. And um, Were you surprised that this person was normal? Yeah. Well, I mean, she said, yeah, she sounded fine. She, <laughs> I know. No, I think uh, it's just society I, has low expectations. I don't know how yeah, else to yeah. put it. They and, just do. <laughs> and, I, and I have to admit, I, re- I remember actually 
there was a guy waiting for um that would that I would see where I'd wait for the bus and he was blind and he'd walk down the sidewalk with his cane mm-hmm. and he he had his backpack on and his wide brimmed hat and he didn't wear sunglasses but but or he he walked down and and uh, I'd watch him and he would he would go to the corner and then turn around and walk back two feet and find the bus <laughs> pole and, and and I thought wow how does he do that mm-hmm. I mean it was really fascinating to me but I was like afraid to ask and I didn't know if if I would be imposing on him or if I really didn't want to know because that could be me and I didn't want to accept that fact. Yeah, I, I, I remember when um, I was getting to know Tyler and uh-huh. um, you know my husband. I was uh-huh. curious about how, how does he manage things with his disability. And, um, and I was nervous to ask him, and I don't know why. And I, for me, since I'd been disabled, I was able to just think, okay, hello, you like it when people ask you, so just go ask him, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I did, and... You know, but he was very open and very gracious about just answering questions, which was one of the first things that I really liked about him. But I just had the strangest misconceptions. Like, um, I thought he didn't like eating because he couldn't feed himself. I mean, hello. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> how that, dumb can you get? <laughs> that's interesting. Well, it's it's funny because um, that kind of well. Let me go back a little bit. So finally, I end up asking this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, um, we got on the bus, and I happened to sit down next to him. And I said, "Hi." I said, "How do you know where the bus stop is?" And and he says, "Well, you just kind of learn it and that." And I said, "Oh, where where do you go every day?" It turns out he was a music teacher actually at mm. at one of the elementary schools. And and I said, "Oh, wow, that's great." Of course, it was time for him to get off. And I said, "Oh, I'll see you tomorrow." Well, it happened to be the last day of school. Oh. Didn't get his name, and I never saw him again. You know, because mm. because um, I don't know if he went back the the following year to school or a different school or a different time or you know, I, sure. I, any of that stuff. So I thought, wow! After probably a year of watching him, I finally get up enough courage to talk to him, and too little, too late, type thing. So, so and there's there's an irony in it, right? I mean, you you like it. You like it when people ask you questions. Oh, yeah. I do, too. Yeah. I, I mean, I just ask. It's normal to be curious. Just ask. And there's there's this irony that there's such a, a fear. And yet, as people with disabilities, I think a lot of us, probably most of us, I mean, I think there's a way to approach it. I, I find it a little off-putting when somebody says, how much can you see? And that's the first thing they say to me. It's Yeah. You know, there, there's kind of a polite way to... To say, hey, can I ask you about your disability? I'm curious, but <laughs> still. Well, I, I uh, um, yeah, no, it's it's interesting because I always tell people, you can ask me any question you want, mm. and if I don't want to answer it, I'll tell you that. Right, right. And and I remember, um, I went into to my dad had retired from work, so I went in in with him to visit his friends and that, and and. One of the guys said, um, can I ask you a really personal question? Because I've known these guys growing up, sighted sure. and the whole bit and, and that. And I said, yeah. And he says, how do you make love to your wife? Oh, my gosh. And I said, with the lights off. And, 
that just shut him up completely and 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 that's why I thought, you know, answer it as an honest answer. Maybe the lights are on, who knows? I don't know. <laughs> right. But but um um you know, so I, I'm not afraid to take any question. And, right, right. And that, and they might get sort of a, a smart, smart Alec answer. But uh, humor is important, though. I, I, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. But. So you, um, so you, you met a lady with with a dog who told you about the orientation center, and is that? That she happened to be a rehab counselor. Mm-hmm. So, so she. I went and talked to her afterwards, and she she said, "Well, let's set up an interview and and all of that." And I gain I was very hesitant, and oh, is this what I should do? Is this you know? I I wasn't sure, and so it actually um, that oh a couple nights later the TV was on, and I was watching. Um, interview with uh, Barbara Walters was interviewing Christopher Reeve Mm. after he had his his horse riding accident and he was a quad and 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 um that and she's she's answering this questions and or asking these questions and he's answering them and he's so positive and that I thought what am I complaining about what am I worried about Superman can't even walk or talk or, or breathe on his own. Mm-hmm. I just can't see. That's, you know, if he could do it, I could do it, you know. And I had met Christopher Reeve before, so so I've seen him in person, seen him, you know, six foot four of him, and, and he really was like Superman and, and that. And to... Um, have him, you know, in a wheelchair with a machine helping him breathe and having to fill his lungs with air so he could utter two or three words at a time. What an inspiration that was for me. So... Because so, because why? The fact that he could easily have, have said, my life is over, but he's talking about going on and going to walk again and, and to direct films and and um you know be uh still be an actor but is is he want to be act, portraying superman anymore but portraying somebody that's in a wheelchair hmm. and yeah. that and i just thought that was so so great um that you don't have to look very far to see someone worse off than yourself um, or what you consider worse off than yourself. Um, so, so I thought, no, I, I think because she had told me about this training center, and I thought, well, yeah, maybe I could, could do that. And then I don't even know if it was that night or the next night. My friend came over, and and I was telling him about this center, and uh, that, and he goes, well, what do you want to go there for? And I said because I want pizza. I was having a craving for pizza <laughs> that night. Mm-hmm. And he says, well, I'll go get it for you. He says, I want to go get it myself. And, yeah, uh, isn't, isn't, that, 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 isn't that true? That's the problem. It, it's, and, and that was the deal. I want to be able to do this myself. Yeah. And, and um, he said, well, why don't you just have it delivered? And I said, I don't know the phone number. 
and I'm too cheap to pay for information. <laughs> <laughs> and and because uh, I could read his mind what he was going to say next. I love it. And That's he says, awesome. And, and he says, "Well, I'll just go get it." And I said, "No, wait. Give me your car keys." He goes, "You're not driving my car." I said, "No, I'm not going to drive your car. Give me my car. Give me your car keys." So he handed them to me. And then I went into the linen closet and I got out a pillowcase. I said, now put this over your head. And he said, why? What are you going to do? I said, just put it over your head, trust me. And he said, okay, put it over his head. And I said, now get a pizza. Mm. And he said, oh, and I go, no, you got to leave the pillowcase on. And he's like, well, where's the phone? And I said, I don't know. You have to find it. And... He pulled the he pulled the um, pillowcase off. He said, "I'd die first. And I said, "And that's what I don't want to do." Thank you for joining us on Ability Stories. Please review this podcast in iTunes. To comment on this episode, please go to abilitystories.podbean.com. If you have any show ideas, or would like to be a guest on Ability Stories, send an email to abilitystories at gmail.com. And thanks for listening.